1: All the crazy events in Russia over the past weekend have left the world, and us, wondering what it all means. So in this Squiz Shortcut, we will try to break down all of it, and look at some of the theories on how this could play out for Russia, if it could change the course of the war in Ukraine, and why even the experts are having trouble knowing where this might go. Squiz Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Alex Tai.
2: And I'm Claire Kimball.
1: Now, we know this is one of the wildest world events we've dealt with in a while. So, Claire, we have broken this down into two shortcuts. If you want to know more about the guy behind it all, Yevgeny Prigozhin, then we did a quick shortcut on that earlier in the week, and you can just scroll through your Squish Shortcuts feed, or we will link to it in our show notes. But in this episode, we're going to focus on what this short-lived uprising means for Russia and Ukraine.
2: Yeah, Alex, and I reckon we should start with Russia. Mm. Uh, One of the key things that experts are focusing on is that it looks like when Prigozhin and his Wagner troops began this rebellion, they didn't meet with a whole lot of resistance. So, Mm. you know, when we've seen pictures of their tanks, for example, just rolling through barricades on their way to Moscow. And even mm. when they first seize control of the military bases in Rostov, for example, uh, it's a thousand kilometres south of Moscow. And it looks like those Russian soldiers defending that base, they just walked away.
1: Right. And it was really the first sign that the Russian army, that Putin himself is not really ruling with the iron fist that we thought.
2: Yeah, exactly. And that is a major takeaway from this. So Mm. we saw from the images from that on Saturday night that Russian bystanders also were cheering the Wagner troops on. So it tells us and it tells the experts that the Russian people are not rock solid behind Vladimir Putin.
1: Yeah. And despite the fact that this mutiny kind of collapsed, the experts reckon this is serious for Putin. Professor Mark Galliotti is one of the most respected Russia analysts around the globe and wrote on the weekend, quote, when we eventually write the histories of the end of Putin, we'll say the endgame started here.
2: Yeah, and that's because as short-lived as this uprising was, it's exposed mm. so many issues that are impossible to paper over. Prigozhin has been so critical of Russia's defence chiefs. We spoke about that in our earlier shortcut. Mm. Um Also, their efforts in Ukraine. So he basically told Russians that the strategy is hopeless. So you can imagine the effects of those words and what that's had on public support for the war, which is already pretty underwhelming at best.
1: There was a great opening line in a piece in the Washington Post over the weekend, Claire. It said, President Vladimir Putin looked into the abyss Saturday and blinked. And... That weakened state for a leader is really not a great place to be.
2: No, it really isn't. And retired Australian Major General Mick Ryan, who's been one of the closest observers of Russia over the past 18 months, he thinks that the repercussions of this failed mutiny aren't clear yet. The fact that Russian intelligence agencies failed to see what was coming, um, that their own forces wouldn't halt the advance, and that Prigozhin said that the defence chiefs are incompetent. So, How does Putin even begin to respond to all of that without (laughs) destabilising his own regime? Um, He's really in a spot at the moment.
1: Yeah, he has come out in the last couple of days and made a couple of addresses to the nation and appeared with all his top security chiefs as well. But even with that, there's a pretty clear sense that nothing is really back to normal.
2: No, it's not. And in that speech on Monday night, he called the leaders of the mutiny traitors and criminals. Mm. Uh, now, we know that in Russia how Putin normally deals with his enemies, which is to say that they made a pretty grisly fate. Um, so analysts reckon that Putin must really have been in a weakened negotiating position to have given Prigozhin exile in Belarus, rather than making him stay to be dealt with on home soil.
1: All right. Well, next, let's take a look at what all of this means for the war in Ukraine. So, with a lot of the reporting on the war in Ukraine, Does sometimes feel like there is a degree of wishful thinking in the commentary from the Western nations because all of those nations want Ukraine to win against the odds? So I suppose the question that we want to answer here, Claire, is does this recent turmoil in Russia actually help Ukraine?
2: Yeah, and on the face of it, most observers would say that it does. Mm. Obviously, in those first hours, Russian troops were actually redeployed from Ukraine to bolster security at home. But even now that initial threat has dissolved, Uh, it's pretty obvious that Putin and a lot of his top brass would be spending a lot more of their waking hours thinking about how to protect themselves, not just winning that war.
1: But, Claire, the flip side of that is this question of, like, surely Putin will now be doubling down on a do-whatever-it-takes strategy to actually win the war because he doesn't want to be embarrassed or seen as weak, right?
2: Yeah, and that is true as well. And certainly the military experts can't discount that he'll launch some sort of devastating attack on Ukraine as a display of strength. And it's worth listening to Major General Mick Ryan again on this. He says that the worst outcome here is that Putin actually steps up the targeting of civilians and critical infrastructure in Ukraine. Mm. um, Like that terrible attack on the dam that we saw, that catastrophic flooding in recent weeks
1: it's a good reminder that we can't be all Pollyanna about this, thinking, you know, Russia is weakened, Ukraine can quickly make a break on this and the good guys can finally win. That might be wishful thinking.
2: Yeah, if it was a Hollywood blockbuster, no doubt it would end that way. (laughs) But that's certainly not the case on the ground. And putting aside that 24-hour mutiny, it's good to check in and just check where the war is at. So Ukraine launched its counter-offensive in the last few weeks. That's been talked about quite a bit. And what we mean by that is that there's a concerted effort to push Russia out of areas that it has claimed in Ukraine. Uh, But while it's taken back the odd village, uh, the odd few hundreds of kilometres in territory, it's really, really tough going.
1: Yeah, President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine has acknowledged that progress has been slower than they'd like, but, and this is a quote from him, some people believe this is a Hollywood movie and expect results now, it's not.
2: Yeah, exactly right. And Andrew Kramer from the New York Times has painted a picture for us about what it looks like on the front line and why it's so hard for Ukraine to claim back its territory. He says that Russia has basically built a 15-kilometer deep defensive minefields as well as massive ditches and concrete barriers. So vehicles really struggle to get through and even if they do, on that other side is all that military firepower waiting for you.
1: Yeah. Ukraine, this counteroffensive is happening inch by inch. And while they are doing that, they are exposed from the air in these open fields. So it's a really tough endeavour and really, really risky.
2: Yeah, and it's not like anything that's happened in Moscow over the weekend makes any of this land warfare any easier. The best case scenario for Ukraine is that the morale of Russian troops gets worse and that the Wagner troops, who have really been some of their best fighters in some of those very bloody battles, they largely leave the
1: fight. And none of that is a sure bet, of course, and in fact, none of the experts really believe that there's going to be a decisive end to the war anytime soon.
2: No, and we've seen pictures in the last couple of days of both Vladimir Zelensky and Vladimir Putin visiting troops on the front line, obviously doing what they can to keep spirits up and reassure the fighters that they're doing all that they can to win the
1: war. Next up, we'll unpick why even all the experts are struggling to forecast what comes next.
0: Before we get into what might be in the news next week, a message from our podcast advertiser BHP. This week, they're keen to share with Squizzers how the resources they mine are key to the energy transition to renewable energy. Yeah, we often hear about the push towards renewable energy, but what doesn't get as much attention is the role resources play in making that transition possible. Take steel, for instance. It's a key material used in the construction of renewable energy infrastructure, as well as in bridges, transportation, hospitals and schools. And a big part of it comes from iron ore. BHP says the importance of responsibly produced Australian iron ore is clear. And by that, they mean reducing the greenhouse gas emissions associated with iron ore production. It's why BHP has committed to a solar and battery agreement to help power their port facilities at Port Hedland. It's happening now at BHP, and if you want to learn more, visit bhp.com forward slash critical. You'll find that link in your episode notes.
1: Claire, we've talked a lot today about what might happen. Putin could do this or do that. But it's worth talking about why it's so difficult for even people who know Russia really, really well to understand what the next move is here, what happens from here.
2: Yeah, and I think it's worth revisiting how few credible primary sources we have coming out Mm. of Russia. So I don't know if you remember last year, of course, this whole Putin is dying story, Alex.
1: Yes. Yeah. It was like within a few months, all of these different commentators were saying he had cancer, he had Parkinson's, he had serious mental illness. I remember these stories.
2: Yeah, exactly. And there was particularly notably a clip of his hand supposedly shaking. He was holding on to a table, and that went viral. But the reason I'm mentioning this is because all sorts of reputable people were quoted on that. None of them actually knew what was going on. Mm. Uh, there was no real hard evidence. So, actually trying to get an accurate account of what's happening in the Kremlin is very, very hard.
1: Yeah, Mark Galliotti, that professor, the expert on Russia, reckons there was, quote, a lot of wishful thinking around the commentary on Putin's health. And Claire, I guess you're telling us to really take a deep breath and make sure we look at all the sources before we assume that Putin will be gone anytime soon.
2: Yep. Me and the experts are advising (laughs) you to do that. Uh, One thing, too, to keep in mind about the reporting is that there are governments that are really putting scenarios together about what might happen in Russia. It doesn't mean, though, that it's a prediction. And one example of that is that there were reports earlier this week that UK diplomats were briefing officials to prepare for the fall of Putin and the fall of the Russian government, which all sounds very dramatic. But again, that's not... A prediction from the UK government. Uh, Another thing, too, the world leaders are being very cautious about the statements that they're making about what happened in Russia. US President Joe Biden is one. He came out this week to say that the US had nothing to do with this. He had to do that because he knows that inside Russia, if there's any sense that the West was involved with that mutiny, it would be disastrous.
1: Our own Prime Minister Anthony Albanese said this week that we expect there to be a protracted conflict in Ukraine, not a quick finish. And there's nothing really about the events this week in Russia that changes that. Albanese has said we have to be prepared to stand with Ukraine for as long as it takes.
2: Yeah, and of course this week he announced that we're sending an extra 70 uh, army vehicles to Ukraine as part of a big package, and although that doesn't include a very special type of vehicle that Ukraine was after.
1: Yes, Ukraine has been running a campaign to get more of these pseudo-tanks that Australia has called the Hawkeyes. Ukraine even put up a large billboard near the Canberra airport. But our Defence Minister Richard Miles reckons that the Hawkeyes have too many teething problems. There's a breaking issue, even though the Ukrainians say they don't care and they just want these tanks.
2: Yeah, all up, that Aussie package is worth more than $100 million. It's on top of half a billion dollars that we are provided in military aid. And the US has also just announced another $750 million in support. That takes their support well and truly over the billions mark.
1: And that is your shortcut on Russia and Ukraine. <music> Each week, we give you a recommendation for some further reading, listening or watching. And this week, I've got a fascinating fact check from Newsweek called The Year Putin Didn't Die, which is a great reminder to all of us about checking and double-checking and triple-checking the sources of where we get our news.
2: Yes, and if you listen to our Squiz Kids podcast, of course they have the basic tenets of stop, check and think. So it's a good thing for all of us to remember, I think. Um, And also it's worth giving a shout-out to incredible war correspondents who really give us an insight into what's happening in Ukraine uh, and in Russia. There's one episode of The Daily Podcast. It features uh, Andrew Kramer, who's the Ukraine Bureau Chief for The New York Times. It's well worth a listen, that one.
1: Yeah. Great, great episode. Thank you everybody for listening in. If you like what you heard, please tell people about the podcast. And if you have any requests, you can send them through to hello at the squiz.com.au. And in the meantime, there are plenty more episodes for you to have a listen to. So get onto that. Until next time. (laughs)
0: Kate Watson, co-host of News Club and The Weekly Wrap, jumping in here to say thank you for listening to our podcasts first and foremost. And if you like them, we'd really appreciate it if you could share them. Tell your mates about us. Tell your family. Tell your barista. Tell your hairdresser. Whoever you think might be interested in the news that we cover. You telling people about us is still the number one way we grow. Thanks in advance.